Okay. Uh, hello, everybody. And thank you for checking out this, uh, uh, what we've been doing in Haiti, uh, past, present, and future. Uh, it's a topic that's uh, super important uh, to me right now uh, because we are going to be uh, following up our, an initial launch we did in November, uh, in January. Uh, for an earthship school on the island of, uh, of Laganav, which is uh, out in the bay, sort of out in front of Port-au-Prince. Um, Laganav historically is, is uh, one of the most struggling or challenging places uh, in Haiti. Uh, it's known to sort of have be the poorest area um, and it's definitely, you know, underserved. Uh, so, uh, we've been trying to get this, the school going there for actually two years. It's the, it's been in the works and, uh, because of political unrest and COVID, um, we've had to delay it uh, twice now. And so we're finally, um, uh, really launching it on, on January 4th of 2021. So it's pretty exciting, um, for all of us being that it's been in the works for so long. Uh, but I wanted to sort of show everyone what we've been doing in Haiti over basically the last decade um, and how the design has evolved um, to better suit the climate and uh, the possibility of, of earthquakes and hurricanes, which is very, very real in Haiti. Um, you know, why, why do we want to keep a presence there and keep pushing there? Well, you know, I, I think it comes back to, um, the desire to spread, uh, um, the idea of, of self-reliance really, uh, in that, you know, especially in Haiti, uh, infrastructure is very undependable, um, you know, the government, is is also um you know i don't want to say corrupt but uh it's unpredictable and not dependable and so you know when you have a whole population of uh million you know millions of people depending you know for the basic necessities of life on corporations and government that doesn't really have their best interest in mind you know, it, it creates a, a real tragic situation. So with our buildings, we can, we can, uh, we can get an example out there, um, it would be at a school or residences or whatever, that will take care of, of the people and provide the basic necessities of life. So that's really, you know, my motivation and our, our company's motivation. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But so anyway, let's get going here. Um, we are, our first effort, um, in Haiti was in 2010 and this was in, uh, Port-au-Prince, uh, right just a few blocks from, from the airport. Um, we were contacted so that the earthquake, it was, I think January 12th, 2010 was, uh, a 7.1, I believe. And uh, absolutely 
devastating to uh, to people all over Haiti, but especially in Port-au-Prince, uh, the destruction was was hard to uh, hard to imagine, and even even seeing it, it was it was still you know quite shocking. Um, lots and lots of concrete building just concrete buildings just just reduced to rubble um and then i don't know if we all can remember the images of of people moving into uh, tent camps uh blue blue tarped tent camps and basically in every you know flying into port-au-prince that time i remember even down like the median of the highway there were tent camps um so like every every square you know every little piece of property um people were having to, to relocate and leaving the rubble of their homes and and relocating which to us looks like into temporary uh tent camp situations but but honestly you know those weren't really temporary uh you know they were the new permanent residence for, for people so our idea was to go and uh, Uh, everybody can hear. It looks like somebody's not hearing, but it looks like somebody is hearing everything. Okay, <laughs> thank you, uh, Christine, for confirming that. So, so our idea was to go and build small structures, uh, and this was the original design: small buildings that could be obtained for, you know, four to six thousand dollars. That's four thousand to six thousand dollars, and. Uh, Use you know use up all kinds of garbage, which is a huge problem in Port-au-Prince and all of Haiti, uh, and provide people uh, the basics um, and create uh, self-reliance. And so that's what we did. We 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 were contacted by a nonprofit that was already on the ground there. I think it's in a it's an it was an American nonprofit called uh, Grass. Roots United, uh, the director of Grassroots United invited us to come and do a demonstration building on their uh, on their compound, which is basically they had a pretty fairly big piece of property right in um, right in the city. It was a walled compound, and there was sort of existing house, and then they were doing basically different examples of affordable, sustainable housing, uh, as well as serving as, as a, uh, a distribution center for uh, medical supplies and many, many other things that they, were, that they were working on. So we went and you know, first did a recon trip with just a couple of us and, uh, and started what we call a hut. And this is a 12 foot diameter circular building. It has a dome over it. And so, you know, initially we just pounded the a circle of tires, left an opening for a door and window, and then built a cage out of rebar and lath and remesh, uh, sat that on top of the circle of tires, uh, poured a bond beam around it and plastered it. And, and created a, a small space and then left. Came back to Taos, um, you know, back then we, 
we weren't even working through our, and maybe we didn't even have a nonprofit actually. So I just came back to Taos and uh, I think we just got a bank loan, Mike did. And then we went back with a larger crew to, uh, to finish it up. So we went back and this was, this would have been, I remember it was, it was February. So, you know, just uh, shortly after the earthquake and, uh, and we for two weeks camped out and worked on the structure. And we also met a woman named Marita who um, was, was, I believe living in Port-au-Prince at the time. And um, she had, uh, she had known about us. I can't remember if she had done the academy already or what, but at any rate, uh, she also brought in a huge team of, of locals. Uh, so we were, you know, the goal is always to transfer knowledge, train the locals. And, you know, so, you know, what's the point of doing this if we just do it and nobody knows how we did it, right? And so uh, train the locals in the, in the theory and the concepts and in the actual, you know, how, the, how to do it. So we had a great team of locals that showed up every morning. And uh, I gotta say, it was a, it was a super fun build. So we uh, finished up the hut in that we pounded another course of tires around the perimeter of it and then built a bottle wall on that uh, leaving a cavity, which we then filled with all kinds of like styrofoam, single use plastics, uh, all kinds of stuff that we just gathered up off the streets, you know, and, in Port-au-Prince and Haiti in general, there's there's no municipal like garbage collection or garbage solution, um, but you know especially in the in the poorer neighborhoods, I mean there is just just garbage everywhere. I mean it's, unfortunately people you know basically live with piles and piles of garbage, and it's always shocking. You know every time I come in into Port-au-Prince when I've come in there, you know it's when you get to these areas, I mean. You know, it's like thing, the areas that were meant to be maybe aqueducts to move water around the city are just full to the brim with garbage. And there's just garbage everywhere. And, you know, and people have to burn it just to get rid of it. Um, and there's really no real solution uh, to it. So uh, we, for us, there, that means there's lots of readily available building materials. And so we used a lot of single-use plastics and I tell you, styrofoam containers. Every street vendor, every every takeout food place, I mean, it all comes in a, in a styrofoam. Um, I was even told um, that, you know, 50 years ago, you know, stuff was like, it was served on uh, banana leaves. And then somehow, you know, all the styrofoam came in. And I'm sure the U.S. and other, other places that kind of encouraged it. Uh, and so now every little, every little thing comes in a styrofoam container. So there was loads and loads of it. Um, and we used it in this cavity to insulate our thermal mass wall. So this is how we're going to keep this building cool, is we have a mass wall of pounded tires. And then to, um, to regulate the temperature inside, we insulate the mass. And that's what we do to every building. And we do it in a lot of different ways. But here we're doing it. Uh, with uh, shredded up styrofoam and single-use plastics. All right, so that is how we're going to keep this building cool. Uh, also, this building is going to catch water. I mean, water, especially drinking water, is, is an issue. Um, uh, so this building on the dome, it catches water into 
a non-variable sister, very typical cistern. Uh, they're like these black rhodoplast is a brand tank. And then we wrap that cistern with possibly layers of cardboard for insulation so it doesn't, so the water doesn't get hot. Uh, and then we also want to keep light out of it. And so then we go ahead and veneer the tank with a can or a bottle wall. So the building is catching water into the cistern. Um, let me go to this shot here. This really looks at the water use. So here it is, the rain falling on the roof of the dome, going over into our cistern, which is elevated on a couple courses of tires and wrapped, as I said, with can work. Uh, then there's a little bulkhead fitting and a spigot right there out of the bottom of the tank. And you simply fill a bucket with water out of the cistern. Uh, then we have another cylinder of cans or bottles um, that, um, that we use to take a, a shower in. And so it has a, a pit under it that's lined with plastic four layers usually, and filled with gravel. And then has a little concrete um, disc that we make that you stand on and you, and you take a bucket shower, um, which, which, is, which is a very common way to clean yourself in, in many, many places. You know, not, not everybody has a nice shower head and, and a hot water heater and all this and some kind of fancy glass lined uh, shower enclosure. Um, and I was actually told last time when I was there in the beginning of November, uh, the one one guy told me, a young young man told me, uh, well, you know, Phil, this is this is called a bath. This is a bath. You're taking a bath when you're using a bucket. If you're, uh, so I guess we, we might refer to this as taking a bath, uh, where he says a shower is when you're inside and you have a shower head and everything, but when you're using a bucket, it's called a bath. So anyway, so here we're taking a bath um, inside the cylinder, cans of bottles. That water then goes down into this little pit you can see then flows into a, a, a gray water botanical cell that is also lined with plastic. Um, in that cell is filled with mostly gravel but in this case in, in, in 80 we used, um, we used concrete debris, concrete rubble uh, from the earthquake. There was of course loads of it. So we filled the botanical cell uh, with broken up concrete and then a layer of sand, two inches or so of sand, and then about a foot of soil. And that's what we're growing uh, all kinds of things in and food in. All right. Uh, so then after that, you've got this body of gray water that, you know, it's evaporating um, out of the planter. It's also, you know, there's transpiration happening as the plants absorb all this water. Uh, but we also take some of that water and we have a little tiny pump that we submerge into this pipe right here. Uh, and that's powered by a very small solar electric system. I'll show you that. And then um, when you, we have another cylinder of cans or bottles with a roof on this one, a little dome on this one, and that contains our toilet. Um, we, don't have a back on the toilet, you can see. We don't, we don't use that. That's a lot of working parts, you know, that will fail. And then who's gonna pay to replace those parts? So what we often do in this case is we just use the bowl of the toilet and then we flush it with a bucket. And we get that water to flush with 
is, is the cleaned up water that you just took your shower in. It goes through the botanical cell, you know, it gets cleaned up by the plants uh, and the gravel and everything. It may even be recirculated to clean it further. Uh, and then we pump that water. We turn on a little spigot here in this little cylinder, the toilet room. We fill a bucket, we use a toilet, and then we flush the toilet with a bucket. It's called bucket flushing. Uh, also, you know, a, a very common way in, in a lot of places in the world to flush a toilet. You know, lots of people don't use the backs because of all these mechanical things that can break. Um, so that is how we did our toilet. Then that toilet, the waste then drops into what we call our outlaw septic tank. But really, there's nothing illegal about it. Well, in the U.S. it's illegal, but it's, a, it's just a fine way of doing a septic tank. It's just a super affordable way of doing a septic tank. It's right under your toilet. Uh, it's got a little rebar dome and then poured concrete, and that's the floor where the toilet sits. Uh, this is lined with four layers of six mil plastic. Um, and then it's about five and a half feet deep, about five and a half feet in diameter. And then we stack up six or seven really big, like R20, like semi truck tires. Um, and that is, you know, a septic tank. How a septic tank works is that it has a solid side and a liquid side. So that toilet just direct drops. There's no piping or anything. It just direct drops right into the solid side, which is inside of these tires. Then as the solids break down and they create uh, something that's referred to as effluent, which is a very beautiful word for something not so pretty, uh, as the waste, the solid waste breaks down, it turns into effluent, it turns into liquid. And, you know, and there's a, there's a process, you know, that happens in here uh, to break down the solid waste. It's an aerobic process, doesn't require air. And uh, so it just sort of, composts in a way, turns into liquid and flows into the liquid side of the hole, which is just the, the part of the hole that isn't inside the stack of tires. That liquid side is filled with rocks, big rocks, or even small tires. And then from there, the effluent, the liquid flows into the black water uh, botanical cell. Uh, so this cell receives just the, the toilet effluent. And then in that, it's a ET bed, evapo evaporation, transpiration bed. It's lined again with the four layers of plastic. And you know, from there, we, we expand that to the point where there's basically nothing left at the end. The plants use it, uh, the liquid evaporates. And so we have a zero discharge, uh, very simple septic system uh, which is key in places, uh, in any place in the world, because, you know, a lot of places, people's septic is just going right into uh, their drinking water. And, you know, that's the case in Haiti. That's the case in many places all over the world. That's the case in the U.S. Uh, a lot of times. And so here we create a zero discharge system that contains all the sewage and then uh, also grows, grows food out of it. So, that is how this, the water system worked on this first effort in 2010. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so here's the exterior of the finished building. And what we're looking at is this is the hut, the 12 foot diameter hut. It's insulated with the 
the single use plastics and, and everything. And then in the middle of the hut, we have a vent. And so we're always, we are, we're always venting the space and there's like this umbrella over it. And that's all made out of, actually it's shingled. Uh, Mike made this. It's, it's uh, shingled uh, plastic bottles that we've cut apart and turned into shingles. That's why it looks green and everything. Uh, then it's plastered on the ribs, and it, but this is an umbrella that keeps water from coming inside so the building can constantly ventilate and can bring in cooler air and replace the hot air that's up high. And it's just a convection cooling technique. Hot air rises up out of the building to be replaced with cool air. And you can see this is the cylinder um, that houses the, the toilet. Uh, yeah, I think this is the toilet cylinder and here's the water going around it in a little gutter. And then this cylinder, uh, that's where the tank is encased in that bottle work. And then this one over here is where you take your shower. Uh, and then here where these little rocks are outlining, these are actually the lined botanical cells. You can see we already have banana trees and stuff starting to be uh, planted in there. Uh, uh, here is the crew that we were working with. Um, and we even even got some dyed cement happening and everything. And what a great local crew uh, we had. I mean, um, you know, all the people I've met are just really into work, you know, into working and, and just a super positive, uh, you know, faced with 30 70 you know, 70% unemployment and, you know, difficult, um, you know, working nonstop just to get the, the basics um, and then coming to site and jumping in with us. I mean, what, what a pleasure it is to work with the people of Haiti. I have all the respect in the world for the Haitian people. Uh, so here we are just putting the final touches on it. And this is like inside the little courtyard area that the, the hut and the, and the three other cylinders surround and create a little outdoor living area, which is, which is super cool because it can be used for eating. I mean, look, here's Mike using it as, as his office. Um, also can be used uh, for, for cooking because you don't, you know, in, in the hot climate like this, you don't cook inside, it just makes it too hot. So you basically, everybody cooks outside. And so this could also contain um, an outdoor kitchen area and here it is inside the door inside the hut. You can see we use plastic bottles that we cut in half and, uh, and just push together to create uh, bottle bricks to bring in light, you know, as opposed to using glass or anything uh, uh, that brings light into the space and, you know, uses a bunch of plastic bottles. Um, then here we are looking, yeah, this is, you see all these plastics we're using. So here's the thing, and not a lot of glass available because, uh, and I don't know why we don't do it in the US, but anytime you buy something in a glass bottle, like Prestige, that's their beer, for example, um, that bottle is returnable. Um, not just returnable, it is filled. So there's a deposit on it. So you would never really find glass bottles laying around. If you, if you buy a bottle, I mean, even the shopkeeper is going to be hesitant to let you walk away from the shop with it unless they know you. Uh, you're going to be kind of invited to uh, go ahead and consume what's in that bottle right there and make sure you give that bottle back. So glass bottles aren't really that 
prevalent as a building material, but plastics, oh boy, there are endless supply of plastic bottles and we can absolutely use those. Uh, so you can get a glimpse in here. That's the toilet cylinder. Of course, there'd be a curtain here for privacy. Uh, and then you can see there's no back on that toilet. It's just a bucket flush setup. Um, this is looking on the top of the gutter of the, of the hut roof and how that drains across and around the toilet and then boom into the cistern right there. You can see the lid of the cistern. Of course, we will filter that water before it goes into the cistern one way or another to keep out leaves, dirt, dust, sediment, you know, to pre-filter the water before it goes in the tank. There's a good shot of the top of the tank. In this case, we've, we've plastered the top and we've, we've created sort of this low spot all the way around the inlet and that is meant to catch sediment, see? Uh, so sediment, water will pull up here a bit, sediment will drop out, then it'll go into the tank, which of course also has a screen on it. It's key to keep light from getting into the tank. So we want to even here in this opening, I can't remember how we did it, but we do want to keep any light from going in because that just grows algae. Um, so that's, uh, we keep the tanks dark and we pre-filter the water before going in. This is a glimpse at the inside of the shower uh, bottle cylinder uh, with a little arched door. Of course, there'd be a curtain there and there's the gravel base that's been lined with plastic. And then we have this, this, uh, this, in this case, it may just be a rock that we got that you can stand on and even a rock that you can sit on or set your shower supplies on. Um, and that is where you take the bucket shower. Um, all right. Here, this is the exact word, but this is an example of what the outlaw septic looks like. Um, of course, this one is lined with rubber EPDM, but we won't, we won't have that in Haiti. So we'll use four layers of six mil plastic, but this is that stack of tires I mentioned. You know, the toilet would be sitting right above this. So there's no plumbing, it eliminates any plumbing. You got a toilet, no plumbing drops right into this stack of six or seven big semi-truck tires. Uh, the solids break down, flow in between the tires, see, into the liquid side, which was filled with rock. And then here, that liquid overflows into the Blackwater um, ET beds or botanical cells. Um, all right. So, I mean, what a great two weeks it was working on this, on this building. There you can see the little window. This thing is about wrapped up. Uh, I remember this day was kind of the last day just in, enjoying the space. And, uh, and hanging out with our awesome local crew. Uh, here it is from the roof. And that's pretty much um, how we left it. Uh, okay, so uh, then coming back to Taos and then thinking about, all right, well, how could we, let's say somebody gave us the opportunity and we almost had a, uh, I think it was like Sean Penn or somebody, uh, we were close to getting uh, his foundation to sponsor us, but it didn't happen. Um, so thinking about, all right, how can we take that, you know, take that example and just, uh, you know, uh, build lots of them on a very small piece of property all the way up to here on less than an acre and a half, um, potentially housing at four people per unit, you know, close to 200 people. Uh, and, and that is, a, that was meant to be a response and an alternative um, uh, to the tent camp situation. And I've got, uh, I've got this chat 
window open on the other computer here if anybody's got any questions. Uh, but that was our first effort um, in Port-au-Prince, uh, uh, really in response to the, the, the devastating earthquake of 2010. Okay, um, so we will move forward. Uh, and almost seven years go by all of a sudden <laughs> um, to uh, a project uh, called Sakalakawel. And this is outside of uh, artist uh, city of Jacmel. And this project was um, started by some of our academy students, um, specifically uh, Robert of uh, has a nonprofit called Indie Convergence. Um, Robert and another guy, Oja, and also Marita, uh, all three involved in this project. I know it, it, it started, geez, I think it even started in around 2012. Uh, I think uh, Robert was, was, was teaching uh, uh, karate actually in a, in a building and then they got kicked out of the building and he's like, well, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to build a sort of a space for it to keep doing this and a community center uh, and a community theater space. And so I think Marita met up with them as they were just launching the idea of this project and, and finding a place to do it and encouraged those uh, both Oja and Robert uh, to come to Taos and, and take the academy. And so they did, and I can't remember exactly what year it was. And then they went back and started to build their own um, Earthship inspired uh, theater space um, and also a community space. And, you know, they worked on it year after year, coming back and forth, you know, raising money here, bringing it back there, uh, working on it. Oh, I have a question here from Christine. Uh, how much would a single unit cost uh, in the total project? So, you know, for what we did, the, the project I just showed you, you know, I think we had that thing in like under six grand in material costs. Of course, that was didn't include any labor. So that, to answer that question, yeah. And, you know, the point there is we're trying to narrow down into a price range that, that would be reality. You know, a six grand probably is still not really reality for most people in, in, in Haiti. Um, but that's that's what that one was for. Thank you for the question, Christine. Okay, so back to Sakalakawel. Um, so they worked on it for several years and then, um, then they invited me uh, and our nonprofit, Biotexture Planet Earth, um, to come and do, do a hit on it. And of course I was thrilled uh, to get involved with it and uh, and Biotexture Planet Earth did have um, some money that was, you know, uh, earmarked or whatever for, for Haiti. And so we went back and I went and, and worked on their site. And what they were interested in getting was they had already built uh, the big uh, stage area and, uh, and it looked pretty good. And then they had pounded a whole bunch of tires up the hillside. Um, for the audience to sit in. And so, and they had had events there uh, and doing like an annual event, especially there and had been quite successful and the community was into it. And so then they, they, they were hoping to 
you know, expand and get some other spaces that could become useful for the community. So what we did is we went and, and built patterned after our simple survival model earth ships. Uh, it's basically a vaulted space um, that, you know, is, is super resistant to hurricanes and earthquakes um, and could be a space for them to start to do karate in or, or whatever the community wanted to use it for. Um, so uh, it was a fun, I think it was still another like two week gig. Uh, uh, we, we built the vault on the ground. We pounded these tires. We lifted the vault on, uh, formed a bond beam with plastic bottles, poured the vault uh, into that bond beam, and then started to plaster the vault with uh, several layers of cement plaster. And there we are going for it. We're gonna ventilate this space. In this case, we used uh, this corrugated tin. You know, wood is not really a thing, you know, because of the climate, termites rot, the moisture, you know, wood might be used for doors and windows, but it's not used for construction. So here we just uh, coiled up this corrugated tin, put it right into the roof, and that is where our ventilation is happening. You can see the vault is well braced underneath. Uh, with all kinds of lumber that I remember we actually, <laughs> I, I was uh, naively, I maybe asked for scaffolding. Um, and so I got to work the next morning. It was just like a big pile of random lumber. I was like, I wonder what all this stuff is. And they're like, that's your scaffolding. I was like, oh, <laughs> and by the way, don't cut it. <laughs> uh, and you have to pull out any nails that you put in and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, uh, used, we rented that, actually rented that scaffolding. Uh, used it to help brace up the vault, which you want to do before uh, your first layers, you know, uh, to help stabilize it before it has its like structure. So brace it up with that stuff. Um, you know, one thing I love about, about, you know, working in these places and with amazing people uh, like the local people is, you know, there's, there's never, you know, there's never something that's insurmountable, you know, we could always find a solution. And that's sort of the daily life anyway, for, for the people is just finding solutions where it seemingly is hopeless. Uh, this morning, um, I remember walking up to site and the, and the delivery truck of sand, I guess, or gravel had slid off the road um, and wasn't able to get traction to get back on the road. And so you can see, of course, <laughs> We tied a big long rope to it and got everybody we could find and actually just tug award this, this giant, you know, pretty big dump truck. We just pulled it by human power back up onto the road. Uh, that's, you know, that's, I love that stuff. That's, that's your typical, if you can do something like that every day, well, you had a good day. Um, so back to our, back to our vault, we got several coats of plaster on it and we're going to start to look at uh, getting the gutter form and starting uh, to catch water off these things. Um, you can see how how much I braced the interior of it. I was a little bit worried um, just about the quality of rebar. You know, I knew once I had the plaster shell on it, we'd be good, but I was a little worried about the rebar quality. So I really went crazy on the, on the bracing. Of course, all that's removed um, after the fact. Uh, we also had a local welder, uh, amazing welders in Haiti. And uh, for security, you know, and just, you know, wood door could potentially just rot. 
uh, local welder made us this, this really quite beautiful uh, lockable uh, door for the space. Um, and then here we can start to see uh, the gutter happening from the other side of the dome. And this was the existing structure that, that they had already built. Tire work and a big, a big vault over it. So we, I didn't work on that. But they had a little gutter on it, which wasn't draining anywhere. Um, and then I got this vault happening with the gutter on it to drain into. And here's our typical tank. And you know, here you can really see it's like a cutaway of it. We pounded tires, sat the tank on tires. We have an overflow pipe built in actually and goes in and is hidden in the bottle wall and overflows out down the hill. Then we have wrapped this thing in cardboard for insulation so the water doesn't you know, overheat, wrap that cardboard in plastic. And then we start coming up with the plastic endless supply of plastic bottles up around this thing to encapsulate it. We have a screen here. In the gutter, we've made a little dam right before it goes in to create a little sediment catch to filter the water before it goes in the tank. And there you can see it. There it is, quite well expressed. There's a sediment catch. Then that fills up, goes up and over this dam, and then eventually um, into the tank. And of course, there's a screen over the tank. Here you can really see the cardboard layers. Even a little bit creates a good thermal break between the bottle brick wall um, and the tank. And there's the overflow. So all that is coming together. Um, they're interested in the, the group really also wanted to get a toilet happening. Uh, so we did, um, we were gonna do a toilet and shower. And so we had one, uh, you know, six, three, uh, sorry, four layers of six mil plastic lined um, ET bed for the black water and another one for gray water. And then they would actually both overflow into a big combined gray and black water botanical cell, which in this shot is yet to be lined, but will be lined. Um, so we got those in and here we are coming up with, oh, and there's Robert. He's a uh, Indy Convergence. This is um, his baby partially. So here we are, we have the out, outlaw septic tank this is Robert, uh, the outlaw septic tank coming up out of the ground. Now, we sort of had some elevation. Uh, it was real rocky on this site. And much, much of, much of the island is rocky as you get up in the hills. Um, so we could only get so deep with our dig. And then we decided to bring the rest up uh, with a plastic bottle wall until we got that five to six foot height. And then this is where we would line it and stack the tires. And so that's the septic tank. Um, yeah, there it is, lined with the tire stack in it. And then there is our little um, rebar vault on it. Uh, then of course this thing, well, the liquid side overflows into our black water cell. And then on top of that, we just build a cylinder and put the toilet right in. Um, so uh, this is great because I, had, I hadn't actually looked at any of these pictures in, in a couple of years until uh, yesterday when I put this together. So it's fun to revisit this project for me. Um, all right, so back to, this, back to our vault. Well, we need to insulate this thing. So we just do this plaster vault and that hot Haitian sun is just baking on this. Well, that heat is just gonna transfer inside 
to our interior space and make it uncomfortable. And you know, this is what everybody basically deals with. And conventional insulation really isn't even sold um, uh, in Haiti. And everybody, everybody associates insulation with, with cold weather, but also in a hot climate, insulation will help to keep you cool. Uh, so that's what we're showing here. Um, these bags are filled just with styrofoam, loads and loads of shredded styrofoam uh, takeout containers. And then we just collected lots and lots of cardboard. Cardboard is a very good insulator too. I mean, insulation is all about creating air pockets, little air pockets. So cardboard has a pretty reasonable R value and that's the, the resistance, uh, the, 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 how a material can resist heat moving through it. And we, in the US, we refer to that as an R value. Um, so we try to build up, you know, eight or 10 inches of cardboard uh, over top of the vault in the valley. We did uh, bags of bags and bags of shredded styrofoam. You know, all this stuff just gathered off the streets where especially the beaches have a lot. Um, and then, so we got that whole space insulated. Then we went ahead and covered it with six mil plastic, two layers, you know, as just a super backup uh, moisture barrier. Uh, and then on top of that, we put lath or stucco netting and then replastered the whole thing again. So we have the structural plaster, then we have the insulation, then a moisture barrier, and then plaster again as the, as the final uh, roofing membrane. Um, so, uh, oh, I also got very lucky and was able to... Um, able to attend, it just happened to be carnival season when I was in Jacmel. And so I got to go to Haitian carnival. Uh, well, it is intense and super amazing experience. Um, if you ever have the chance, you know, um, go for it. Uh, I'm not sure if this was a, yeah, okay. There's a little video I shot at carnival. And so uh, you can see People come from all over the country to Jacques Mel's Carnival. It's very popular. And it's just parades, uh, endless parades of, um, of uh, people and all kinds of costumes. And a lot of this stuff is all made out of, this is John. He was the guy that kind of caretakes that space there at Sakalaka Well. And, and he graciously rode me and his girlfriend down to uh, Carnival in the back of his motorcycle. And, um, and, Kind of hung with me through a lot of it to make sure I was, I was safe, which was much appreciated. Uh, but all this, all this paper mache stuff. I mean, all of this is just made. It's all made out of garbage, really. People don't, you know, there's no money to buy new material for this, so it's just amazing. And and basically the, the, you know, the, the peak uh, gathering and festival of the year. You know, uh, all the costumes and everything is is just paper mache out of garbage. You know. Uh, I mean, uh, here's another shot of it. You know, it's just, it's just an amazing thing. And, and, and just, I was really blown away at how garbage is just so much accepted culturally as, as a material that, that you can make things out of. I really love this one. You can see all the candy wrappers and, you know, chip bags and all this stuff have just been put together on these flapper wings uh, that smack together as you're, as you're walking, parading through the carnival. And it's just, to me, shows how the culture, you know, does, doesn't, you know, it, it sees garbage as a useful thing in, in society, as opposed to here in the U.S., where, where a lot of people, 
you know, are completely turned off by anything made out of garbage. Uh, you know, there's like some stigma to it, I guess. Uh, but but not in Haiti, it's absolutely embraced. Um, okay, all right, so now I've got, what, 10 or 15 minutes here. All right, so that was 2017. Now I want to go ahead and go to right now. Uh, this, as I said, is on an island, Lagunav, uh, and the town we're in is, is Anseal Agalets. Um, it's about 40 years to 60,000 people live in this town. Um, and we did, uh, Deborah and I did a, did a recon mission, uh, first weekend of November. Uh, we went to check it out. So this is a, this is a school and there's a woman from California named Kelly and she's had a school on the, on the island, uh, for the last eight years. And it's, it's been very successful. And I think one, one of the things that impressed me most is, uh, is that there is, a, it's a primary school. And so you have to take a test, a nationwide test after you get, after you get through primary school to move on to secondary school. And, and there's only about a 20% passing rate for this exam. And part of the reason is because the exam is in French. Uh, but, you know, but the language of Haiti is Creole, Haitian Creole. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids get to the, the test and, and, well, they don't know French, <laughs> you know? So, uh, so Kelly and her staff of local teachers, I met all of them, uh, uh, really, uh, they, they totally, they teach French as an integral part. And they, and they have this, they sort of cram six years into three years. They have like a sped up system. And so they're, and they have a 100% passing rate uh, on the national exam to go from primary school to secondary school. So the community is really into it because they're, they're getting kids through this thing in a fast amount of time, passing that test and able to go on you know, to the secondary education. Um, so she is well-respected in the community. We got there and she was delayed by a day. And I mean, you could just tell immediately you know, they, they came and grabbed us on the motos, brought Deborah and I right um, to the school grounds, treated us super well. We were able to just immediately start working and laying out the building and all they were talking about, Kelly, Kelly, Ke Kelly's coming, Kelly's coming. So uh, it was great to see uh, how she's, and that's really important, uh, how she's gained respect and trust in the community. And that's, you know, when you just go and do a build or hit a build a couple of times, you don't build trust in the community. Um, but in Puerto Rico, we've been six or seven times perfecting what we're gonna do in Haiti. And we've built trust and we've built community there. Um, and Kelly already has that. And we can kind of, we're gonna kind of tag on to her, the trust she's already got, but we're gonna keep going back to this project. Yes, we're going in January to launch it and to try to get one of the classrooms usable and get a toilet usable, but uh, this is going to go on for, and I just talked to Mike this morning and he again said, we're going to have a presence here for the next three years and get this school polished out to where it's just a gym in the community and Kelly and her teaching staff can just keep on, uh, and they want to double the size of the school. So you, you, you fly in, either go in on a ferry or we flew in on a teeny tiny airplane, five seater landed on basically a gravel road, uh, and then from the air, we could 
I, I could tell the site because I had gotten pictures, but there it is. And this is uh, when we left and you took this shot. And here you can see the circles of tires and there's three of them that we laid out. You can see the location of the school is right on the water. Uh, these, this is a big fishing area for locals. All day long fishermen are going back and forth because this is a, a coral reef right here. So a big fish population and lots of people in homemade boats and, and even sailboats with sails just made out of plastic sheeting. Uh, you know, the ingenuity of the Haitian people just always astounds me. Uh, they're able to do amazing things with, with not much. Uh, I think that's why like earthships and the way we build out of garbage really you know, overlaps uh, culturally, I feel. Um, you know, also here where uh, the power is only on at night, for example. So, you know, like nobody would have really, um, you know, people that, that live, you know, the, 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 the average people, the vast majority of people on this island. I mean, you know, if they have power at all, it's only at night. So you know, think about it, you know, we're talking, you know, 30,000 people with, without refrigeration, for example. Um, you know, during the day, the power's off. So, you know, that's that, that's what I'm talking about, that being reliant on, 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 on fractured infrastructure, right? Uh, how could you be reliant on that for power? Well, uh, so we will have an example of solar electric, of course. Also, that affects your water supply. And, you know, a, a lot of times there's one, maybe one source in a neighborhood for water. When the power's on, you're able to go and fill up containers and bring them back. And then when the power is off, well, you, you are using the water out of the container. So imagine having a thousand gallons of water just sitting right there beside your building. So catching water, you know, containing sewage is huge, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, no sewage really in this town at all, even for the wealthy people in the hills. I mean, nothing is contained. It basically eventually all just makes its way, um, uh, into the ocean or into the rivers or, or, you know, and then drinking water, where are you getting that? Well, you know, when I'm there, I'm buying drinking water, but certainly people are not spending money on drinking water. So people are having to drink water, you know, that's spoiled by, by, by human waste. Uh, so, you know, all these things um, we can address uh, through this project. So here it is, and it's, it's based on what we did in Puerto Rico. Uh, but these are much bigger diameter huts. These are 20 foot diameter. And so these are all classrooms. Uh, this one says administration, but it's gonna be a classroom too. So we're gonna start with four classrooms and you can see how this is like 10 years of evolution of design here. I mean, this is in plan looks very similar and is similar to what we did in 2010. Uh, so we have cisterns wrapped in bottles, same story. We'll have a boys and girls bathroom with maybe three toilets per, and that will be on top of the outlaw septic and which will then flow into, these are the botanical cells. Uh, but there's been evolution in design. First off, even in plan, you can see what are these blue things, these blue lines, or these are cooling tubes. So we're definitely uh, tightening up and and playing with how we cool these structures. You remember that one in Port-au-Prince had no cooling tubes. Well, these have the cooling tubes. The idea here is that you have the hot air high up in the top of the domes. It escapes out of a, out of a chimney now, I'll show you. But here you can see it in elevation, a much taller 
basically a convection chimney. So all that hot air is gonna rush out of that chimney and then it gets, gets replaced by air coming through these tubes which are buried underground. So these tubes, the, hot, the air is then cooled by the cooler ground temperature and then enters the building at a much cooler temperature. So that's, that's the cooling concept. Uh, let's check it out in section. So this section is much above, you know, the one in Port-au-Prince. Uh, we, we have this dome and that's what you see is this, this plastered rebar dome, but in Port-au-Prince it's insulated from underneath. And there we used shredded up um, styrofoam containers, put into rice bags and made these like pillows that we insulated the, the plastered dome from underneath. Well, now we've decided, and we have the same uh, single-use plastics or styrofoam or whatever insulated cavity on the outside of our mass tire wall. But what we're going to do in Lagunav, is we're, in which we've done twice now in Puerto Rico, is we're going to bury the roof uh, with gravel or dry earth, and then we're going to insulate on top of that with a foot of cardboard. Um, so, oops. Uh, so now we not only have mass walls that are insulated, but we also have a mass roof that is insulated. And then we put our plastic membrane on top of the cardboard, and then we do a plastered uh, roofing surface, and that's where we're going to catch water up. So, yeah, this has been a big, and why we've done this evolution is because in Puerto Rico, we did something similar to what we did in 2010 in Port-au-Prince. Uh, and, you know, those buildings were cool, but they weren't as maybe as cool as we wanted them to be. Um, so we've introduced cooling tubes and we've made this great big tall convection chimney. And on top of that, we're going to have out of probably old car parts or whatever kind of scrap metal we can get a hold of. And we'll paint it black. Uh, convection plate. And the idea there is that it not only keeps rain from coming in, but also heats up and helps to accelerate the movement of the hot air out of this space. And then that hot air is replaced with air that comes through earth and is then cooled and then enters the space. So that's been a lot of evolution um, over the course of a decade on this design. Uh, you know, and remember, you know, there's a very substantial structure. I mean, it's also almost like a very stable building inside of a, a stable building. And that's in response to, you know, this building is going to see hurricanes and, and, you know, it's going to feel earthquakes. So, you know, the circular design, the dome, you know, all those shapes are very stable uh, for those kinds of events. So uh, that's how this evolution is going. And I'm sure it'll evolve more as we build because we always do. There's uh, Mike's uh, elevation of the building. This is, you know, the window. Here we have the main classroom, you know, flanked with cisterns, or uh, these would be the bathrooms, cisterns. Um, so that is what it's going to more or less look like. We also have construction details uh, for even the, the window, the door with this arched opening, surrounded by most likely plastic bottle bricks, maybe some glass bottle bricks, uh, and a window, similar design, arch design surrounded with glass or plastic bottle brickwork. Um, 
Okay, thank you, Christine. Just made it made a few comments, um, and I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Christine. Yes, um, we're gonna keep evolving this thing for sure. Um, this is our uh, steel plan. So these these are these are actually pretty big domes, uh, twenty foot diameter, and that means that you know our our domes actually sitting on the middle of the tires. So it's, it's pushing a 23 foot diameter dome. So we've done studies on how we're gonna do the steel. This is all half inch rebar uh, crossing the center hub as we call it. And we'll put that structure on and then we'll come back and do uh, circles of rebar around it once we lift it into place. So really evaluating you know, the amount of rebar and the layout of it for this much larger dome. Uh, this, this drawing shows that the dome is, you know, a piece of a circle. Uh, so we will lay that all out uh, on the ground. And that's how we get this height. And it is an arc, which is a portion of a circle. Um, uh, so that is the rebar scheme. And I know we're running out of time here. I just wanted to touch a little bit more, you know, again on like why. Uh, this, yeah, this is the ravine that's uh, in, in town. And basically the ravine seems to be sort of the dumping ground for, for garbage. Um, so this is a very typical uh, view, you know, and yeah, the goats are trying to clean up this mess, but yeah, come on, it's not gonna happen. You know, we can use all of that. We can use that whole entire pile in our construction, especially in that cavity wall where we insulate the tires. I mean, it uses truckload after truckload after truckload of crushed single-use plastics, styrofoam, whatever, really. This whole pile could go in. Uh, what happens, and two, they get, uh, we get some big rains, and then this ravine just all washes out in the ocean. You know, here's sort of the lower end of the ravine. You know, all this stuff's eventually going to wash uh, right out in the ocean, and that's just, that's just how it goes. Uh, you know, here is the ocean on site. You know, it uh, just depends on the tides and stuff, but often there's a lot of garbage just floating out here. Then the tide will take it away. And then a lot of it, of course, washes it up on shore. I mean, we can just clean up every single bit of this and throw it into our building. Uh, here we are when we got there. Uh, we had already got a thousand tires staged, so we hacked them out with machetes out of the overgrowth and sorted them by size. We were only there for two and a half days. Uh, this is Vlad, Vladimir. Uh, he's gonna. He, we met him in 2010. He's been doing his own sort of eco constructions, garbage constructions for a decade. He's gonna be key component on our crew, um, and will be there for the whole duration of the build. Uh, this is Kaba, and this is Vlad. Uh, Kaba is sort of the caretaker of the school, so he's got like all the local connections. Uh, he knows where the best chicken is in town. He knows where to get all the materials we need, cardboard, everything, super nice guy. Um, so he's gonna be there with us too for the duration. Um, this was my favorite morning there, woke up and we needed to get gravel to start pounding our base course of tires with, because uh, we do a couple courses in gravel in case of course there's gonna be moisture on the ground or hurricane flooding. We don't want the tires to absorb water up into the walls. So we do the first couple layers of tires with gravel. We had to go load the gravel by hand. It was great fun, you know, and nothing builds like camaraderie and respect 
and almost like instant friendships than just sweating your butt off, shoveling for several hours, loading trucks with gravel. I mean, it kind of like spans everything, language, whatever, you know, like by the time you're done that, <laughs> you know, you've all connected with each other. And I love that kind of stuff. It was super fun. There's that loaded truck heading back to site with all of us walking behind it and all the kids wanting to ride in it and getting yelled at by the driver. <laughs> then back on site, dumping that gravel. I was relieved to see it was a dump truck, <laughs> dumping that gravel out. And then we've laid out our first courses. And we're, you can see over here, we got th three of the circles laid out and we started pounding right away. Um, uh, just then we were just there for about, you know, 55 hours or something, but uh, launched, totally launched a project, teaching everybody how to pound tires and just everybody super excited to, uh, to jump in and get involved. Um, uh, and then I had uh, Vlad stayed a few days longer and he was sending me, sending me shots, uh, pictures <laughs> for a couple of days and, and they managed to without me. And of course they don't really need me anyway. Uh, they pounded that whole first course and look at those nice plump tires just sitting there ready for when we come in January with, uh, with about hopefully 20 um, off-island volunteers and our crew of eight or nine. Um, and I want to invite anybody, you know, we've got 13 people signed up off-islanders to come and participate for the month. Um, you have two options three options actually, you could come for two weeks and the cost of that is a $750 donation to our nonprofit Biotexture Planet Earth. Um, uh, or you can come for four weeks for a $1,500 tax deductible donation through our nonprofit. We've got about seven spots still available. Uh, anybody at all interested can contact me like right now, Phil, P-H-I-L, at earthship.com email me um i'll also show you where to sign up anybody remotely interested we can we can chat you can even give your phone number i'll give you a call um we got seven more spots you know that donation is what makes this project happen um, i also have a a facebook um donation uh, fundraiser going on phil basehart Phil's Earthship Fundraiser, I think it's called. It's been actually really successful. I've, we've raised uh, over $11,000 on this thing with a $15,000 goal. Um, so that thing, I'll, that'll still be happening throughout the project. And on that, I'll post updates. And we'll be posting lots of updates of the project uh, on all our social media and everything. Um, um, let, me, let me play this. See if I can probably add a little video here. Oh yes. So this is the site kind of walking up. There's our stacks of tires, just to give you a sense of what it's looking like here. We've sorted these all by sizes. Uh, there's no sound, but just me talking. So you got that anyway, right? <laughs> and then there's the compound all walled in. We'll all be camping out right inside here. This is the school. School won't be in session for January. Those are the three circles we've laid out. And that just gives you a sense of the place. Um, and yet we'll be camping. There's hotel options too. But uh, anyway, that gives you a real, you know, that's the site. And it's right on the water, as, as I think you 
already know. Um, and then Moeen's going to be with us. He's, he's part of our team. And he's an amazing artist, architect. And so he did these uh, this shots from the air, you know, of the, there you can see the four classrooms and the cisterns and the two toilet areas. There's the wall of the compound, uh, the school compound. This is another building, like where Kaba and a few guys live. Um, and then this is where the tire stacks are. Uh, uh, and here's a beautiful shot of it. And this is like, this is actually what it looks like that Moe's just superimposed our building right in here. This is all the, that's all existing vegetation. And this of course is what we're gonna grow out of our botanical cells. Um, uh, so yeah, January 4th to the 29th, um, Biotexture Planet Earth is a nonprofit. That's where you sign up. Uh, this is what camping looks like. There's my tent. Bring a good sleeping pad. <laughs> it's a gravel beach. Uh, but you know, lots of shade. There's looking down the other way. You know, it's a cool spot. Uh, and then here's our flyer. And so this is where you sign up. Uh, but don't hesitate to email me. Phil, P-H-I-L at earthship.com. Um, but uh, this is the website, www.biotextureplanetearth.org to find out more or to sign up. You'll see the Haiti page. Uh, we also are doing an academy option, um, but because we don't have a lot of funds, we can't bring all of our, all of our teachers. So how that's evolved is that if you want to do that, it's, it's actually, this says 3,000, we've dropped it to $2,500. And what you get for that is the four weeks with us, which is basically like the 1500. And then you have the um, online academy, which you can do before you get there. And I think you can still work on it after you leave. And then while we're there, we're definitely going to have some classes um, about the basics of concepts. I'll do some classes, uh, translated classes, so we can get the locals all the information that they need and deserve. Um, so we'll translate these into Creole, uh, and we'll go over the, you know, the six uh, basic design points, uh, guidelines of Earthship, as well as like looking at day-to-day -day work and describing what's going on and why to everybody. So, so, you know, it's going to be a super amazing, unforgettable educational experience. And I appreciate you attending this this morning. Um, and any way you want to get involved, just let me know. There's a couple questions here. Uh, let me just see. A uh, question about traveling from the U.S. with the COVID situation. Uh, well, that's a great question. Um, and if you, and this is from uh, from Christian, um, and it's a very good question. Well. You know, having traveled there myself right in the in during this whole pandemic, um, you know, the travel on the planes and everything. I mean, I think, you know, the deal uh, masks up, I'm sanitizing my hands all the time, you know, being very careful, keeping distance from everybody. I felt pretty comfortable at that. Uh, I must say, though, that once you get to Laguna, um, you know, uh, because of the economic situation that a lot of people are in, I mean, there's no such thing as social distancing. I mean, people live in a single room with their whole family, and there's many families, it's very dense, you know, 
you can't distance yourself in that culture as a local. Uh, that said, there apparently have not been many cases on the island. And a lot of, I mean, the, the perspective I got that from uh, people was that uh, COVID is not an issue in Laguanab. Well, we, we know that that's not true. Um, I just think that, you know, there's the day-to-day the, the -day life there, there's bigger issues than COVID-19. Uh, people are trying to figure out what's what we're going to eat today. You know what I mean? So, uh, so I do think if you are at risk in any way, this is probably not the project to go to on site. We are going to maintain just like we do here. Everybody wears masks. I try to spread people out as much as possible. Um, you know, but out in the streets, not that you have to go out in the streets much because you could just sit right there on the school grounds and, and not get out. Um, but me walking around when I was walking around the streets, you know, over a month ago, I mean, nobody was wearing masks. I must, I must say, uh, um, and like I said, and it's culturally, it's, it's a very, people are, you know, very close to each other and that's just the way it is. So, um, you know, that said, I don't think there are a lot of cases there. Everybody coming there, all the foreigners we're bringing there will have to have a test, a negative COVID test within 72 hours of arrival. That's, that's our standard. Um, and then we will be, uh, you know, on site and in camp um, enforcing uh, COVID precautions. But fact is in town, uh, not many precautions are being taken. Okay, so uh, how do we keep in touch? Christine, who do we speak to? I'd like to get involved in future uh, question from Cisco. Yeah, yeah, email me uh, or watch our social media. Um, don't hesitate to email me. Okay, well, I guess we're winding down here. Uh, um, okay, I got, I have, uh, okay, I have a message from Oja. Thank you, Oja. Um, he wants everybody to know that Sakalaka Well is not a sanctioned earthship. No, it's not. Uh, Sakalaka Well was an earthship inspired project. I believe I said that um, created uh, uh, from the minds and hearts of, uh, of our, uh, some people that have taken the academy. Uh, he's also concerned about the danger of bringing the pandemic into Haiti as the US has many more cases. And I hear you, Oja, um, but like I just said, we're going to take every precaution. You know, we've been operating here uh, in Taos. We have had hosted academies. I mean, there are ways to there are ways to do this that are safely. Last thing we want to do, Oja, is bring anything ill um, to Lagunab. So we're going to take every precaution. Um, I just think that this project's been on hold for two years, and it's it's really it's time to make moves on it. Um, so, but I, I, I'm open to, to discussing that, Oja, and, and thank you. And you, you, you got to know that that's uh, a concern. And we certainly have thought about that. Thank you, Oja. Um, uh, and yeah, 
Uh, Christian, yeah, I answer it honestly, man. I'm not trying to cover anything up here. I'm trying to be totally open and honest. And yeah, Oja, I'll be in touch with you. Um, uh, thank you. All right, everybody. So um, uh, I've gone way over. Uh, I don't know how many are out there, but thanks. And um, talk soon. Okay. Bye.